0: So let's get started. Welcome to week four of the Beyond Limits class, and it's been really great. I am uh, not surprised that I've been somewhat under the weather the entirety of this class. You know, four weeks still kind of battling some throat congestion stuff, some head stuff going on. Um, I see it as as some attack. Um, And so anyways, I just... Know that stepping out in faith and doing what the Lord wants me to do, you know, sometimes that brings uh, adversity and that's kind of what we're talking about today, not in the form of uh, sickness or illness, but just in the spiritual realm, there is adversity that comes our way when the Lord reveals himself to us. He invites us into that relationship. He gives us the destiny. We begin to seek him for the destiny. He shows us some detailed things. We start to move that direction. And we have to know that there's adversity that comes our way. And so when I say adversary, I think one of the first things that we think of is uh, Satan and uh, his um, his demons. And so we know that a third of the angels were, were thrown from heaven um, with Satan when he fell. <clears throat> and so we have adversity. And let me read in Ephesians chapter 6. It says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so scripture says, number one, excuse me, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And I think it's really easy sometimes that uh, we make flesh and blood our enemy. You know, it's it's that politician or it's that person, or it's my spouse, or it's that boss, or it's that person that, you know, ran me off the road or whatever it is. We make people flesh and blood, the enemy. And uh, scripture just tells us very clearly that our struggle's not against them. There's always something underlying. I have a great good friend. His name is Pocky. He's a pastor of a, a homeless uh, or a church that ministers to the homeless. And he always says that it's always spiritual before it's physical. And so we have this adversary. We're moving forward in the will of the Father. We're bringing heaven to earth according to his will. And we're going to face that um, that adversity that scripture says that is um, the power of the dark world and spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. And so really interesting stuff. Uh, not really battling in the physical so much. Sometimes I believe that stuff manifests, but for the most part, it's happening in the spiritual realm and we have to turn our time and our, and our attention there to see what's going on. And I believe that we can do that. So revelation twelve ten, we see, it says, then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser, of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God, day and night, has been hurled down, <clears throat> and so Scripture tells us that there's going to be a time where our accuser is going to be hurled down, but Scripture also reveals that we have an accuser that is accusing us day and night before God, and so First um, Peter five eight, I believe. Shows us that it that is Satan, that's the devil. Be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. <clears throat> so, here's where things get a little bit interesting this word Satan or adversary um, in the Greek we find a really interesting definition. And so, the word is uh, I'm probably not going to say it right, but it's anti or anti. Dicos, so anti and it's a technical legal term used in antiquity of an adversary in a courtroom, someone seeking official, formal, or binding damages. And so <clears throat> the word uh, DK is right or judicial approval. So a judge is basically approving or saying that someone is innocent or right in their actions. And so this word anti Dicos literally means against being judicially approved or against being right in a court of law. And so very interesting that when scripture is revealing to us an enemy or an adversary that we have that roams around the earth looking for people to devour. He's accusing us day and night, all the brethren, the brothers and the sisters, accusing us day and night before the Father, and that we have struggles against flesh and blood of this in the spiritual realm. It is using a legal term. That that is our adversary, as though he's stepping into a courtroom and bringing formal charges against us to try and find us guilty of the accusations that he brings towards us. And so Zechariah three, this is probably the the single most blatant scripture we can find in all of the canon that will show us what one of those court sessions is looking like. So let's go ahead and read that. It says, then he showed me the high priest Joshua standing before the angel of the Lord with Satan or with the adversary standing at his right side to accuse him. So we see that Satan is bringing these formal charges to try and find guilt against the high priest Joshua and they're there before an angel of the Lord. And so it says the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. Satan, made the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Isn't this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? And now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. So the angel of the Lord spoke to those standing before him, take off his filthy clothes, and then he said to him, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with festive robes. <clears throat> says, Then I said, Let him put a clean turban on his head. So a clean turban was placed on his head, and they clothed him with garments while the angel of the Lord was standing nearby. And the angel of the Lord charged Joshua, This is what the Lord of armies says, If you walk in my ways and keep my mandates, you will both rule my house and take care of my courts. I will also grant you access among these who are standing here. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, and so then it says, listen, high priest, Joshua, you and your colleagues sitting before you. Indeed, these men are a sign that I'm about to bring my servant, the branch notice the stone I've set before Joshua on that one stone are seven eyes. I will engrave an inscription on it. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. I will take away the iniquity of this land in a single day on that day. Each of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and fig tree. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. So a lot happening here in the scripture. We can certainly go verse by verse and pick it apart, but I want to just show you a couple things. So again, we've got the adversary, Satan standing before the father, accusing Joshua, the high priest, a a priest, a servant of the Lord. And the Lord basically says, you know, um, I'm going to rebuke you, you know, this guy's, this guy's chosen. Um, and I'm going to show you, I'm going to take his filthy rags and I'm going to make them white as snow reminds me of that verse in Isaiah, where it says, though you were as red as crimson, I will make you as white as snow. Uh, I will take away all of your iniquity. And so, um, the Lord spoke that about us. And so he says that on that day, he's going to wipe away the sins of, of many, right? Um, where does it say that, uh, verse nine, and I will take away the iniquity of this land in a single day. And so we know that, The Lord Jesus Yeshua died on the cross, rose from the grave, wiped away our sins, uh, forgave us, made us to be in right standing before the Lord, um, no longer guilty of our sin. And it says that he gives us white garments, right? He took our he, he took us crimson and made us as white as snow he gave us a garment of praise and so the same thing that essentially happened here to Joshua uh has happened to us in Christ but we get uh insight into what's happening here with Joshua specifically and um the lord says if you walk in my ways and keep my mandates you will both rule my house and take care of my courts and I'll grant you access among these who are standing there well what what kind of access is that and who was standing there it was the angel of the lord it was being in the presence of Yahweh in this court situation, um, being able to be found not guilty before the Lord. And so um, again, the most blatant situation we can find, I guess, or the most uh, obvious court case, if you want to put that, put it that way, that happened in scripture that happened in the heavenlies. And so um, interesting that, we get this legal term for Satan as an adversary or somebody who, someone who's seeking official or formal or binding damages to be found guilty before the judge. And then we get Jesus who is then our advocate and our judge. And so another legal term that we're going to find about Jesus. So we have an adversary who's against us right? Bringing those charges in court. And then we have, or excuse me, the, the adversary who's bringing the charges. Then we have the advocate who fights on our behalf. And so first John chapter two, verse one, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. If we do sin, we are not guilty of the accusation. Right. So Christ sets us free by his stripes. So this word uh, parakletos, if that's the right way to say that in Greek. It is from uh, two different words, para and kaleo, and it means from close beside um, and to make a call or to properly or properly a legal advocate who makes the right judgment call because is close enough to the situation. Another word for that is advocate or advisor helper, and it's the regular term in the New Testament um, that is for an attorney or a lawyer, someone giving evidence that stands up in court. (coughs) So, in one hand, we have the adversary, and in another hand, we have the advocate, and that advocate is always, always, always Christ it's Jesus. If we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And so no matter what situation we find ourselves in, no matter what accusation is being brought against us, we have Christ who's interceding and advocating for us. And he's the one that is saying of us that we are not guilty of that accusation. And he is finding us to be um, in right standing or justified before the Father as the accusations are brought to us. And so it is always in Christ that we are not guilty. and it always it is always the judge who will make the not guilty judgment for us. And so <clears throat> I find it really interesting. The legal, the legal terms, you know, the accusation, the court, the lawyer, the adversary, the right standing—all of those things that we find in these scriptures—I um, think we've lost some of those terms in translation. I think that along the way we've used words like adversary, and we just think Satan—he's against us—but we don't think like he's literally bringing accusation before the father, the judge to try and find us guilty. Like we just think, oh, he's, you know, if he's not uh, for me, he's against me. And he's trying to uh, still kill and destroy. And we just kind of write it off as this thing that's happening. And, you know, oh yeah, Satan doesn't want us to succeed in our mandates and in our destiny. But truly there is all of this legal terms um, in the scriptures based on these original words that were used by the authors that indicate there's something more going on. They are using these terms, lawyer, advocate, adversary, to make a point. And so uh, let's look here, Colossians 2, 13 through 15. It says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us, us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us, with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. <clears throat> and so scripture, again, if we go back to that very first verse, Ephesians six twelve, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, powers, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm and we look back at this scripture colossians 2:15 it says he disarmed the rulers and the authorities so the struggle that we have against those rulers and authorities he has disarmed them and put them to shame by triumphing over them so we have triumph over our enemies in the spiritual realm and so The record of debt that stood against us has been canceled. So any sin that we are guilty of has been canceled. And so when we stand before the father and we're there and the accuser brings accusation against us and he might be right. We might be guilty of those things. We might have done those things. But when the Lord makes his judgment and his verdict, he says not guilty because he's disarmed their power to find any guilt in us based on what he did on the cross, canceling our debt by his works and not by ours, by faith through grace. Amen. So if we look at Romans eight thirty four, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. And so Yeshua is there next to Yahweh the father and he is interceding on our behalf. He's saying, do you see Jason down there? Yeah, he's mine. He's mine. And I died for him and he's covered in my blood and he's a son and he's maturing and he's been given destiny and he's interceding and he's speaking and testifying the truth about who I am in him to the judge, to the father. And so he is my advocate. He is the one that brings about the truth and presents that case of truth before the Father. Beautiful stuff. Romans 3.24, they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so that word justified in the Greek, I look at the definition It means, I make righteous, defend the cause of, plead for the righteousness or the innocence of, I acquit, I justify, hence I regard as righteous. So, we are justified by grace through redemption in Christ. So, we are made righteous, we are pled for the innocence of, right? The Lord comes and he acquits us of any sin and any wrongdoing that we've done. And so again, another term here justified is that pleading for the righteousness of the innocence and the acquittal of those who are in him, no longer guilty of any sin, no longer guilty of the accusations or, or found to be condemned based on the accusations that are brought upon us to the father. Again, the adversary accusing day and night, but Jesus at the right hand of the Father, interceding as an advocate, finding us as righteous and pleading for the innocence of us in him because we're his. And so when we're talking about the courts of heaven, you know, Christine will go in and she'll talk about what it's like to present yourselves and listen to the accusers and then um, plead that you're, you're guilty and then the verdict comes and then you're not guilty. And then there's this whole process that takes place, this legal proceeding that happens in the courts of Yahweh. And she'll talk a lot more about that, but really what I wanted to do in talking about some of this is just kind of show that scriptural foundation or basis where all of these words are leading to what that is actually looking like. Um, And again, you know, we read this stuff sometimes and we think it's just symbolic, But the truth is, Yahweh is seated on his throne and he is making judgments and he is um, judging the sin of the world and he's listening to the accusations of the accuser day and night and Jesus is sitting there, right? I mean, we just, I believe that this is taking place in the heavenlies, that the Lord is there and he's ruling and he's reigning. And again, um, go back to that divine counsel PDF and just read the numerous scriptures that talk about the father Yahweh seated in his courts and making his judgments and ruling and reigning and bringing about his will on earth as it is in heaven. It's all there in the scriptures. So let me kind of, um, I want to walk you through something that the Lord showed me probably three years ago. So it must have been about 2017 and there was this huge prayer gathering on the National Mall in Washington, D.C. And it was uh, Lou Engle and um, a bunch of other prayer warrior people. I can't remember their names exactly, but it was this huge event. And there were tens of thousands of people on the National Mall for three days straight and they were doing prayer and worship 24-7. And, uh, I remember being there and one of my mentors here in the city at that time, he asked me to have my ear towards the Lord to ask about what prayer would look like for the state of Kansas. We're in Wichita, Kansas. And he just said, see if the Lord would show show you anything about prayer in Kansas. And so I was sitting there and I began to ask the Lord, is there anything that you want to show me about, about, uh, prayer in Kansas? So, um, I started to engage, started asking him what he wanted to show me. And, um, I pulled out my notepad and I started writing a bunch of stuff down. And so what that document turned into is what you're going to see, um, in the rest of this, uh, in the rest of this PDF, where it talks about engaging divine power. Um, the Lord began to show me how to use prayer. And I say prayer with quotes because it was a different kind of prayer. Um, and he began to show me this. And so let me just kind of walk through some of this stuff with you. And then we can talk about it here in just a little while, but I'll tell you what, I wrote this out roughly three years ago. Uh, it was maybe a year and a half ago that I realized that it was kind of talking about some court stuff. And then when I was putting together week four of this teaching, I was like, okay, Lord, you know, what, what do I need to do? What do you want to show me? And he reminded me of this document and I was like, Oh, you've already done the work. That's awesome. Excuse me. So I just want to call this, this part engaging divine power. So second Corinthians ten three through four says for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So we're journeying this earth. We are in relationship with the father. We're trying to seek and get details and live out our destiny and do his will and do what he wants us to do. And so we have an adversary and he has all of his, the the powers, the principalities, the rulers of the dark realm, they're waging war against us. And so we live in this world, but we're not fighting flesh and blood. We're fighting that spiritual battle. And so we don't wage war-, war like the world does, right? The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, we have divine power. And so that's power from on high. That's divinity, right? Divine power, power from Yahweh to demolish strongholds, not to just kind of chip away at a stronghold, right? Not to just kind of, oh, we'll break it off piece by piece. No, we're talking about demolish A stronghold. That means completely tear it down from the bottom up so that there's not one piece of it left standing. This is the power that we have with the Father. And so, as he began to reveal some of this stuff to me, I got this phrase file grievances in heaven and petition the Lord. So, Philippians 4 6, everybody uses this verse to talk about prayer, but I think we missed something very important. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And then we know it goes on to say, "In the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. This word anxious means to be fragmented. It means to be broken into pieces. And so if we think about the word peace, which comes when we pray and engage with the Lord, that word peace is shalom, which means a wholeness. So W H O L E whole. It's an entire piece. We are made whole in him. And he just brings us to a place to we aren't where we aren't fragmented. So it's interesting. The word anxiety means pulled in different directions. And then peace means whole. So we're either in peace and we're of one mind and one thought and one with the Lord. We have shalom all the way from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet and our soul and our spirit. Or we're fragmented, which means we're uncertain or we're anxious. Like we're, is it going to go this way? Is it going to go this way? I don't know what's going to happen. I'm, I mean, that's kind of like this coronavirus thing right now, right? Like some of us are anxious about it. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't, you know, people are wondering where it's going to go and what it's going to do and this, that, and the other. And, and, you know, thoughts are all over the place. I'm not saying you're like that. Some people are like that, that anxiety being pulled in different directions is the opposite of that wholeness, that the peace that comes. So, the scripture tells us, don't be anxious about anything. So if we're second guessing anything, if we're worried about something, if we're concerned, if we're fearful, whatever's pulling our mind in different directions, we're not supposed to be allowing that to happen. And so in those situations through prayer and petition with Thanksgiving, we make our request to God. And so essentially I want to call that filing a grievance <clears throat> and that's bringing an issue to a judge, right? Right petitioning something is bringing an issue before a ruling or governing body to change the decision that has been made or the direction that something is going. So if there were a, let's just say a park that was going to get, um, demolished and then turned into a parking lot for a, uh, you know, commercial real estate business in downtown Wichita. And I find that the court has then ruled and said, okay, we're going to do this. And this business is going to be able to take over this public land. And I don't like that decision. I don't like that reality or that circumstance. I can then create a petition that says, I disagree with this. Here's what I think needs to happen. I'm essentially filing a motion to overrule or overturn the reality of the situation. And the interesting thing about the petition is that you can get other people to sign it. And so by prayer and petition, so it's interesting that the prayer piece isn't just that we throw words up into heaven and then hope that the Lord's listening. I think we all know that prayer is that two-way communication. So we begin to speak to the Lord and tell him the things that are on our heart and that are on our mind. And we begin to listen and hear back based on what he desires. And we say, what is your will for this situation? And then the other thing that's kind of cool about this is that then we could Go and say, Hey, I was praying. Here's a situation that's going on. I'm not okay with it. I would like to see it changed. I presented that to the Lord. I filed the grievance. And then He revealed to me that His will is this. And so now, together, will you petition and will you believe with me and bring agreement, bring a multiplicity of agreement to the will of the Father? And, you know, will you? work with me, partner with me to do this. And then with the Thanksgiving, we then present that back to the Lord and, uh, and say, yeah, what you want is what I want. And so I find it really interesting that word petition is in there. And again, that word petition has a lot to do with legality and getting things to change from a law perspective. And we know that when the Lord makes a judgment, And when he rules that his will goes forth, if he says it's going to happen, it's going to happen, right? And so we could get the law of God, right? His decrees, what he has said, his promises, his desires, his will for the kingdom. He can show us that and we can agree with that. And then we move forward in that. And then I'll tell you what, when we have the Lord's will, right? When we're understanding what he wants, that's when that peace comes. And we say, yes, and amen, Lord. Thank you so much. So let me just kind of rephrase that in bullet points. Uh, You're not okay with this, Lord. I'm not okay with this, Lord. Let's move to correct this. Uh, The grievances stem from the Father's heart. So we ask for his heart towards the situations that are bringing us anxiety. We pray for an issue of compliance, which is your will on earth as it is in heaven. And then we bring our amen or our agreement by faith to God's will in heaven. And for that to be made manifest on earth. And so that's part of that divine power that we have that we can go and we can approach the father where he is. And we say, Lord, I bring this to you. Will you bring judgment on it? Will you, you know, here's my grievance. What do you want? What is your will? What is your hope? Okay. Amen. I agree with that. I want that too. And then let's bring it into the earth as it is in heaven. So, Along with filing grievances, we can uh, repent and confess. And so, Daniel 9 5 says, We've sinned and done wrong. We've been wicked and we have rebelled. We've turned away from your commands and laws. Uh, 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so, very simply, we can go and confess sin to the Lord and then we can repent. Um, And basically what we can do in that is we admit where we've aided in the enemy, aided the enemy in his pursuits, and then we can break agreements with the kingdom of the enemy. So Romans 12, two says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. So we can break conformity, break up agreement with the pattern or the age of this world, this time and this place and what Satan's up to. I mean, there's times where we've agreed with the enemy. There's times where we've allowed our flesh to get in the way and we have partnered with death. We've partnered with hate and anger and all these things um, that are the fruit of the flesh essentially. And so we can go in and we can say, you know what, Lord, I'm, I'm done with that. I bring my, my sins to you. I confess those to you. And we know that His judgment will be that we are not found guilty of those because of who Christ is. <coughs> Excuse me. And then the next bullet point here is just saying we've, we can file new agreements with your kingdom. So we can then say, okay, Lord, like here are the things that I'm breaking agreement with. And here are the new agreements that I'm making. And it's kind of like the idea of a contract. Um, and so we can tear down demonic, demonic influence and reclaim territory. So like Jericho, um, they went in and they reclaimed territory, um, territory that was theirs. And that's part of that being able to cast down strongholds, that power in the Lord, we can tear down that demonic influence. We can come in. And, uh, if the Lord says that, you know, this place is yours and it's not the enemy's, it's mine, it's holy ground, it's been set apart for my will and my purpose, well, then we can we can say, yes, Lord, and uh, we can go in and we can proclaim that that's the Lord's territory, and we can stand in agreement with what he has to say about that. So, um Along with that, this is possibly times of worship mixed with prayer or call to worship. And so in tearing down demonic influence and reclaiming territory, uh, oftentimes that can be done uh, with, with worship. And so there's a scripture that talks about worship being warfare. And so we can warfare through worship, prophecy, and speaking of the word. And that's just proclaiming the heart and the mind of the father over the situation. Christine will talk about proclaiming it from your mountain, your sphere of influence, but essentially we're. Getting the hearts, the heart of the Lord for something, and then we proclaim it out and we can worship and prophesy and declare his word in that place. (coughs) Uh, Tearing down strongholds makes the enemy vulnerable. We can go after legal blockades, financial limitations, worldly concerns, political power, city officials, organizational leaders. And so, look, we're talking about our struggles, not against flesh and blood, but sometimes that spiritual manifest into the physical. So it's not necessarily the, the head of an organization or, um, whatever it may be, that is the person that we're, we're fighting against. It's whatever's going on behind that. And so we can inquire of the Lord, we can seek and see what's going on, and then we can agree and declare and then bring about that freedom. And so we can go in um, to, you know, we're talking about these the details, these mandates, these blueprints, what the Lord wants for us. Maybe there's financial limitation that's going on in the physical. We say, okay, Lord, you know, I want to, what do you have for this ministry? What do you have for this part of my destiny concerning finances? And then we can go in and we can get that stuff released from heaven into earth so that it manifests. And again, it's really just asking the Lord what is your will for this? And then coming into agreement with it, not being anxious about it, but using that divine power to then go in and make things happen. So, um, there's a prayer that erects and fortifies walls. So, um, we talked a little bit about angels and how they're ministering spirit, spirit, excuse me, to those who are inheriting the kingdom. But we can go in, approach the Father, and we can ask for and acknowledge heavenly assignments of angels. All right, Hebrews one fourteen Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. Daniel 10.12, this was the uh, angel that approached Daniel after he fasted. It says he told him, Don't be afraid, Daniel. God has heard everything that you said ever since the first day you decided to humble yourself in front of your God so that you could learn to understand things. I have come in response to... To your prayer. So in scripture we have this. Situation where Daniel prays. He's seeking the heart of God. He wants to know what this vision means. <clears throat> an angel shows up. And says I've come in response to your prayer. So in this instance. The Lord sends an angel in response to the prayer. We don't see in every instance. That the angel sin. Or the Lord sends an angel in response to prayer. But we also Don't cut out the possibility that the Lord would send an angel in response to prayer. So that's when we inquire of the Lord and we say, have you assigned any angels in response to this prayer? And again, the point of the prayer is to seek the heart of the father, not to try and get your will done on earth as it is in heaven, but to get the will of the father. And so if the father says, this is my will for this situation, we say, amen. I declare it. I agree. You know, you are Yahweh, you've spoken, you know, thus saith the Lord, Father, is there any heavenly resources that you have available for this? And then maybe the Lord will show you that he let three angels go to go work that out. And then you say, amen. I agree. Thank you for the angels who've been assigned to this and send them and praise the Lord. Amen. Um, Praying against speed bumps, anxieties, worries, doubts, trouble. We kind of talked about that prophecy to maintain encouragement. And so, um, just as we're continuing in our destiny, moving forward and what the Lord wants us to do, uh, prophecy, the heart and the mind of the father can be given, um, through us or to us, um, to continue to encourage us in what we're doing for the Lord on earth as it is in heaven. And then we can also use worship and celebration, uh, as or we can worship and celebrate of the work being done. And so, um, if you read the Psalm, it's really beautiful where David, he'll, uh, he'll, he'll, he'll say, remember the things that the Lord has done. And he'll start worship by saying, let's remember the good things that God has done. And so really that worship again, being warfare and uh, coming against the adversary and everything that comes against us. The last thing I wrote here, uh, I think will mean something to some of you, but this is uh, just the idea of watchmen sitting upon the wall. First Peter five, eight, uh, be sober minded, be watchful. The adversary prowls around, right? Ezekiel 33, 7. So you, son of man, I've made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. Isaiah 62, 7. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. All the day and all the night, they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and he makes it a praise in earth. So just the idea that we can connect with the heart and the mind of God in such a way that he will give people the role of watchman to see the lay of the land, to keep a spiritual temperature. My wife, Kim, is a watchman. She's always looking at what's going on in the spiritual and she's giving word as the Lord's revealing. And she's saying, Hey, watch out. Here's what the enemy's trying to do. Hey, watch out. Here's what might happen next week. Hey, I sense this thing and something big is going to happen, whatever it is. And it's not doom and gloom prophecy kind of stuff. It's the Lord saying, Hey, I'm showing you what's happening in the spiritual realm so that you can be watchful, be diligent, Right know what is happening and I'll give you insight into that. And that gives us encouragement and that allows us uh, to be able to build one another up as we're journeying through this thing. And so that's kind of a lot. Uh, we took a little bit of a turn, but again, just reminding us that there's an adversary. We are fighting a war that's not of this world, but the Lord has given us himself as our advocate that cancels out those accusations. We are always, always, always not guilty before yahweh as long as we are in christ and we can hear those accusations day and night we will always get the same verdict because christ is interceding on our behalf and along with that um, we can engage the lord and that divine power and we can uh, file those grievances we prayer we petition we get his his word his will we come into agreement with that and then we see his kingdom work itself out on earth as it is in heaven and so again all of this has to do with relationship all of it has to do with seeking the heart and the mind of god all of it has to do with sticking close as sons and daughters maturing and growing as we journey this life